Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 284. My name is Sean Gerber. On this episode, I'm going to spend most of my time talking about the latest release date reshuffling for Marvel Studios. I am also going to share at the very end my non-spoiler review for the first two episodes of Marvel Studios' Secret Invasion, which is going to be premiering next week on June 21st on Disney+. Plus. I will begin, however, with some news regarding Tenoch Huerta. As some of you may be aware, within the past week, Elena Rios accused Tenoch Huerta of sexual assault and called him a sexual predator on Twitter. Tenoch Huerta then responded earlier this week, releasing a statement on his own social media, also to, also issued a statement to the trades, uh, vehemently denying Rios's claims, calling them, quote, false and completely unsubstantiated, end quote. Huerta claims that he and Rios had a consensual relationship for several months that ended about a year ago. According to Huerta, after the relationship ended, Rios, quote, began to misrepresent our interactions both privately and in front of groups of mutual friends, end quote. Per his statement, Huerta engaged a legal team a few months ago, quote, to commence the appropriate actions to protect my reputation and refute these irresponsible and false accusations that can cause great prejudice and damage, end quote. Huerta also added in his statement, quote, although I am by no means perfect, I know that these allegations are simply untrue. And while I will always work to improve myself, I need to contest claims that are both false and offensive, end quote. Huerta also added, quote, I am deeply grateful to my family and the people who have supported me and greatly appreciate everyone who is willing to look at the facts and reflect before rushing to an untrue and unjust conclusion, end quote. Now, given that Huerta played Namor in Black Panther Wakanda Forever and is likely part of Marvel Studios' plans moving forward, this story is relevant to the MCU, but that doesn't mean the MCU is what really matters here because, frankly, it isn't. This, obviously, is a very serious real-world matter that supersedes the interests of any fictional franchise as of this recording, an accusation has been made by Elena Rios, and a denial has been issued by Tenoch Huerta. We will, of course, continue to follow the story and provide further comment as more information becomes available. Now, before I begin discussing the news regarding Marvel Studios' release slate and its latest reshuffling, I do want to give you a quick heads up about the Secret Invasion non-spoiler review and how that's going to work, which is basically me just letting you know that you will get fair warning. I'm saving that for the end of the show, and we'll give you a heads up before I transition to that topic for the very specific reason that I know a lot of you out there don't want to hear or read non-spoiler reviews in advance of being having a chance to actually watch the show for yourself, and I totally get that. I tend to avoid the I avoid things non-spoiler reviews in a similar way because even reviews that may be may have the intention of being non-spoiler are supposed to be non-spoiler, aren't always. But uh, in my case, if I say non-spoiler, I really do mean non-spoiler, and I will stick to that. But for those of you who don't want to hear or read or see any type of review for the show in advance of you actually being able to sit down and watch it for yourself. I've still got you covered there, and I will let you know when you can check out of this episode. So now let's go ahead and let's talk about the latest release date, release slate reshuffling for Marvel Studios, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So 
to start, nothing is changing as far as the remainder of this year in theaters. We still have the Marvels set for release on November 10th of this year. The next movie after that was supposed to be Captain America Brave New World, previously dated for May 3rd of 2024. Well, it has instead moved to July 26th, 2024. Thunderbolts, meanwhile, has moved from that July 6, 2024 date to December 20th of 2024. That date used to be held by Avatar 3. That film, by the way, has moved back a year. There's a lot of Avatar release date uh, updates as well, but we're focusing on the Marvel stuff here. Blade will be the next MCU film after Thunderbolts. It was previously dated for September 6th of 2024. We will instead be seeing that movie on February 14th, 2025, or so we hope. More on that uh, later on. But if you were wondering if we would now have to wait from November of this year until July of next year to see a new Marvel movie because Captain America Brave New World moved away from May 3rd, 2024, no, at least not yet, as of now, there is still a Marvel Studios movie slated for May 3rd, 2024, except it's not Captain America Brave New World. It is instead Untitled Deadpool Movie, or Deadpool 3, as it is better known. Uh, that movie was dated for November 8th of 2024. It has moved up all the way to May 3rd of 2024. So that means going in order, we have Deadpool, or we have the Marvels, Next, on November 10th of this year, followed by Deadpool 3, on or Untitled Deadpool Movie, as Marvel put it in their official announcement, on May 3rd of 2024, then Captain America Brave New World on July 26th, 2024, Thunderbolts on December 20th, 2024, Blade on February 14th, 2025, followed by Fantastic Four, which used to be on that Valentine's Day 2025 date, it has instead moved to May 2nd of 2025. That date used to be held by Avengers The Kang Dynasty, which has moved an entire year, just about, from May 2nd, 2025 to May 1st, 2026. That date used to be held by Avengers Secret Wars, which has now moved from May 1st, 2026 to May 7th, 2027. Hopefully you got all that. If not, this is recorded. You can, of course, skip back and hear that whole thing again, or you can just go to marvel.com or any of the million of other sites that have posted this news and uh, make sure you have your calendars marked uh, very lightly and in pencil so they can be easily erased if slash when necessary. But that is the updated Marvel Studios release slate. I will also factor in some untitled Marvel release dates that are still out there in just a bit. But just as far as my initial reaction when this news came out earlier this week, I I just I went ahead and, and tweeted a dumb joke because I when I thought of the dumb joke as soon as it happened, but it just kind of felt like my initial instinct was almost as if that Marvel Studios Hall H presentation from San Diego Comic Con 2022 which is not even a year old yet, almost feels null and void at this point. I mean, not really, of course. It's not that serious. The things that were announced 
during that presentation, they're still on the schedule. They're still happening. We are still at some point going to see them. It's just we're not seeing them on exactly the dates that we thought we were going to or as they were initially announced. But we already had a reshuffling last October, so we already kind of knew that that wasn't going to stick. And really, ever since 2020, we have become more and more accustomed, and this is just another wave of it to get us even more accustomed to these release date changes. And so that's why I would say, as I think we all know and understand at this point, nothing is set in stone, especially not until we get a lot closer to the release of these projects. And, And of course, another reason why these release dates in particular are not necessarily set in stone is also related to one of the primary reasons why these release dates have been reshuffled once again, and that is the ongoing WGA strike. The Writers Guild of America is still on strike. And while we hope that a fair deal will be reached between the writers and the studios very, very soon, there is not at this point a timetable for when there will actually be a resolution. So right now, writers aren't working, or certainly they are not supposed to be. And so a lot of these Marvel projects are not yet in production. They are still at stages where writers would be continuing to work on and develop scripts and writing scripts and drafts of scripts, revisions and all of that stuff. None of that is happening right now. These projects are basically at a standstill. And even a lot of the Marvel projects that have gone into production or already had scripts and and have been able to at least start some production, a lot of those have subsequently shut down. Most recently, the Daredevil Born Again Disney Plus series this week, it was confirmed or reported by The Hollywood Reporter that that show has now stopped production for the duration of the strike. We already knew that um, Thunderbolts, which was supposed to be uh, starting production very soon, That is no longer happening, so that movie has been pushed. Blade has been pushed. Pretty much everything. Captain America Brave New World has continued to shoot. I don't know if they will actually be able to finish that movie during the strike. Same goes for Deadpool 3 or Untitled Deadpool movie. And then when we look at those things that are further out, Fantastic Four, Avengers The Kang Dynasty, Avengers Secret Wars, there's just nothing really moving forward on those films, at least not without writers. And so it's a matter of having the strike be resolved, having an agreement between the writers and the studios. But I don't think that is the only reason behind some of these changes. Because if you look at Avengers, the ones I'm really looking at there are Avengers the Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars. Now, you could certainly argue that the reason they each moved back a year is because no matter what, Marvel and Disney want to have Avengers movies be the first weekend in May. That is the flagship release date for Marvel Studios. They're not actually the studio that invented it. I know that, of course, the first Spider-Man movie in 2002 was a first weekend in May release, but it's also a strategy that Marvel Studios has employed uh, since Iron Man in 2008. And for the, most point, uh, for the most part, it has served them well. Avengers movies have been first weekend in May, except for the most recent two, Infinity War and Endgame. They both initially had release dates for 
the first weekend in May. But as you recall, each of those moved up a week into the last weekend in April, but still basically the same territory on the calendar. And so that is the flagship release window for Marvel movies. And that's where they want to have Avengers movies have be their distribution home for their opening weekends. But it really doesn't matter. As far as I'm concerned, I and I think most would agree you could release an Avengers movie on any weekend on the calendar and it's still going to be huge. And if for some reason it's not, it wouldn't be because you changed the release date. It wouldn't be because it wasn't the first weekend in May or last weekend in April. There would be some other reason that an Avengers movie disappointed at the box office. So I don't really think it matters. I don't know if that's why. Because even Avengers Secret Wars, of course, that wasn't initially slated for the first weekend in May when it moved to May. I mean, now it's May 7, 2027, uh, but before that it was May 1st, 2026. But that wasn't even its first release date. As you'll recall, when it was initially announced, it was supposed to be November 7th of 2025. We were going to have two Avengers movies in the same year, Avengers Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars. And then Secret Wars moved back to May of 26, uh, putting those movies a full year apart. And now they've each moved back a year. So the difference between them, it's still a one-year interval between Avengers movies, but the fun starts with the Kang Dynasty on May 1st of 26, followed by Secret Wars on May 7th of 2027. But suffice to say, Marvel and Disney, with the initial November announcement for Secret Wars in November of 2025, even they knew they didn't have to release an Avengers movie the first weekend in May, because they would have thought long and hard about that November release date before they ever bothered announcing it at Comic-Con last year. So there was some other reason why they moved it back to May in uh, 26. And now with the Avengers movies, they don't have to move Avengers Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars back a full year. That's not what's happening to most of these other movies. You have Deadpool 3 moving up, but then everything else is mostly moving back one spot on the release uh, on the release late, except for Thunderbolts, which didn't move to November of 24. It moved all the way to December of 24. But the reason for that is because Disney needed another big uh, tentpole because Avatar 3 is moving out of the year 2024 entirely. So for the most part, it's a relatively slight push on the calendar for these MCU projects, except for Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars each moving back an entire year. And so I think there may be more at play here than the writer's strike. As big and complex of an issue as that may be, we know that Marvel Studios is also in the process of slowing things down. And we know that Marvel Studios has also dealt with more criticism of late in their recent films. And again, that's not to say that any overall criticism or overarching narrative about the MCU and criticism of the MCU, that any of that is correct or anything that I necessarily agree with. You know where I stand on the various Marvel Studios movies that have come out ever, but specifically within the past year and a half or so, where there have been movies like Eternals, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor Love and Thunder, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, where regardless of where any individual fan, myself included, may land on those movies, and that's not four consecutive movies, obviously, in between some of those, you had Spider-Man No Way Home, you had Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, 
drawing a lot of praise and still praise for each, uh, some praise at least for some of those four projects that I named. And obviously a lot of praise, rightfully so, for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 still in theaters. So a lot of good things about the MCU, but we had four movies that came out within uh, a relatively short time period for the MCU where there was a little bit more criticism, or in some cases a lot more criticism, than we were used to seeing from MCU movies over the years. And while I think there is an entire conversation, entire series of podcasts where we could break down all of that and the response to the MCU and those movies, suffice to say, the quality reputation for the MCU has at least taken a little bit of a hit. Now, is that the kind of thing where the audience is over the MCU and moving on from the MCU? No, I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 demonstrates that the audience is right there as soon as they are confident or they they hear the word of mouth, see the reviews, whatever it is, uh, that the latest Marvel movie in theaters is another great one. Will they come right back to check it out, even if they initially hesitate on that opening weekend? Again, as we saw with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and it's historic by MCU standards, second weekend hold. So the audience is still there, but I think at Marvel Studios, I'm sure they noticed, or I can't say I'm sure, I'm pretty confident that they would have noticed that the response to their movies hasn't quite been the same. We've heard about them slowing down for a number of reasons. Even Kevin Feige has talked about it, not so much in terms of quality. There's plenty of reasons in terms of profitability for Disney+, Plus, especially on the Marvel Studios original series end of it. But the net result of being able to slow things down is to invest more time in the creative development and, yes, the writing of these movies. Now, they don't get to make any headway on that right now because there are no writers. The writers are currently on strike. But eventually, the strike is going to be resolved. Eventually, there will be writers once again writing scripts for these Marvel Studios movies. And it wouldn't be all that difficult to imagine Marvel Studios having an even greater emphasis, an even greater sense of urgency around making sure that the scripts for these movies are really dialed in before they go off and make them. And there are plenty of reasons why, ultimately, you can have a better movie, but also with profitability being a huge emphasis at the Walt Disney Company right now, certainly having a better idea of exactly what you want ahead of making the movie will make the production of that movie more cost-effective. So there are a lot of reasons why they would want to do that from a creative standpoint and also a financial standpoint. And I think when you're looking at Avengers movies, there's no doubt that Kevin Feige and everybody at Marvel Studios would say and believe and, and mean it when they say it that the, and I'm paraphrasing here, but that the most important movie they've ever made is the one they're making right now. I believe it when they say it. I believe that that is indeed their mentality at Marvel Studios, and I think that's part of what has served them so well over the years and why they have been so incredibly successful and consistent over the years. But I also think it can still be true that Avengers movies just are on another level, at least in terms of what's at stake for the audience. There always tend to be, for the most part, more eyes on Avengers movies than anywhere else in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So if Marvel puts out a third Ant-Man movie 
a second Doctor Strange, a fourth Thor, or a first Eternals movie that doesn't quite land in the way they might have hoped with an audience, the impact on the MCU overall and consumer confidence, audience confidence, all those things that I talk about that aren't really that much of an issue of the audience not necessarily making these broad sweeping judgments of the MCU and whether or not they're going to continue to invest any of their time or money going to watch new installments of the franchise. As much as I say, and and I believe that that isn't really the case, if there's ever a franchise within the MCU where that could be the case, it would be the Avengers movies, right? That is the flagship franchise that brings the heroes together. And so I think Marvel is well aware that they've really got to deliver with all of these movies. But sure, just with a little extra, especially there, for Avengers The Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars. And perhaps with Marvel slowing down and re-examining their slate, it's also possible not just in terms of them knowing they really want to make sure that those scripts are dialed in, but it is possible that throughout their re-evaluation of certain things, and as they have slowed down, that they've realized And I'm not saying that this is what's happened. I'm just laying out the potential things that could be going on here as part of the conversation. But sure, it's it's certainly possible that they've decided there might be extra steps they want to take as they develop those stories to make those movies be as great as they can be. Because one of the concerns that I've had about the multiverse saga and Avengers The Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars Um, as the culmination of the multiverse saga, is that they were coming up so quickly. And while we have a lot of stories in the multiverse saga between the movies and the Disney Plus shows, what we don't necessarily have is a lot of follow-up with certain characters. And so we don't have as much information, experience, uh, just connection for us as an audience being along for the ride, as many visits with some of these characters going into the culmination event um, of phases four through six, like we had with Tony, Steve, and Thor, uh, just to name a key few there, from the Infinity Saga. So maybe having this extra time might allow some extra stories to be told that will enrich the stories of the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, which may also be... um, of course, being revised, maybe not right at this moment, uh, where writers are not available. But there may still be the intention there to adjust these projects and continue to have them evolve as Marvel Studios, you know, re-examines and and figures out how to best move forward with the multiverse saga. And speaking of additional stories that could be part of the multiverse saga, there are still a couple of at least two untitled Marvel release dates, although I would say it looks like there could be uh, there could be more than that. So, Deadline in their article about these uh, updated release dates, they noted that Disney still has untitled Marvel release dates on July twenty fifth, twenty twenty five, and November seventh of twenty twenty five. So that's two movies that were originally going to be in between, at least on the release calendar, in between Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. Well, now it's two movies that those two movies would be in front of even the Kang Dynasty. And then there are, this was not part of Deadline's update, but the last time that 
Disney and Marvel reshuffled those release dates, there were also, and so far I haven't seen any reporting that these have been removed, but there were three untitled Marvel movies in 2026. One on February 13th of 20, uh, 20, 2026, another on July 24th, and another on November 6th of that year. So February 13th would be uh, another one more movie. February 13th of 26 would be one more movie before the Kang Dynasty even begins. And then potentially two movies, July 24th and November 6th of 2026, in between the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. So if those release dates hold, and they may not, but if they do, and we are looking at two additional untitled Marvel movies in 2025 and three in 2026, those all have an opportunity now to be part of the Kang Dynasty. And what movies could those be? Well, Armor Wars, we know, switched from Disney Plus series to feature film, and we do not have, at least as of right now, uh, we do not have a release date for Armor Wars. So presumably one of those untitled Marvel dates would be Armor Wars, but there's still potential for other projects. One of them, I know certainly one that is speculated about frequently in terms of when would we get one. What about a sequel to Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings? I would definitely like to see Shang-Chi again in a movie before we get to Avengers The Kang Dynasty or Avengers Secret Wars. I hope there is a spot for that character, amongst others. But Shang-Chi certainly stands out in that regard. But the only issue there is that the person you would presumably want to direct a Shang-Chi sequel is Destin Daniel Cretton, who is going to be very busy with Avengers The Kang Dynasty. And until we hear... I, I know Marvel's plan is to have different directors for Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, but I can't be the only one who wondered if with this change of pushing those two movies out, if maybe that also is going to allow... Destin Daniel Cretton to direct both movies. That could potentially be uh, another reason for this push. But regardless, Destin Daniel Cretton is highly unlikely to be available for a Shang-Chi sequel before the multiverse saga is over. So if it's going to happen, there would have to be another filmmaker. And then, of course, there are other projects that could potentially be part of it. I mean, we don't really know What's going? I mean, I know some of this stuff, uh, Thunderbolts will factor into, but it also feels like there's other characters who could be, uh, whose stories could be followed up on uh, between now and the Kang Dynasty. Could there be room for another adventure with Captain Marvel? I mean, I, I don't know because we have the Marvels coming out later this year. Um, another place for Miss Marvel to pop up. Another place for more of all these young heroes in the MCU who've been introduced recently to maybe have another mini team up. Between now and uh, between now and the Kang Dynasty, what about anything with mutants? I expect most of the stuff regarding mutants to happen after Secret Wars, but I could be wrong about that. Deadpool three could totally blow the lid off everything and just have mutants be a, a big part of the MCU. And obviously, there's already uh, the M word being uttered in Miss Marvel last year, so there could be some potential there. Uh, certainly, another project that I've talked about. I mean, it's not. It's not even really a project. A hypothetical possibility is Doctor Doom. Paul and I have talked about it. There was once upon a time Noah Hawley was developing a Doctor Doom project. That was for Fox. It never went anywhere after the Disney Fox purchase, although I mean it was still kind of alive for a little while, but it did eventually go away. But I still think another Doctor Doom 
solo project. I would prefer a Disney Plus series, but if they want to make it a feature film, I'd totally be up for that. That might be something worth bringing in in the early going um, in advance of Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars, unless, of course, Marvel is saving Victor Von Doom for after the multiverse saga. But there are still some open Marvel release dates that could be part of the multiverse saga, even with Marvel Studios slowing things down and, and not doing as, as many things as they have before. I, I think there's still room, and, and now there's even more room on the calendar. But, of course, all of that comes with the caveat. All these release dates are subject to change. They're all written in pencil very, 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 very lightly with just the absolute minimum amount of pressure required to leave a mark on the paper, which is why you just type it so you can delete it. But I won't really be all that confident in any of these release dates until there is a resolution to the writer's strike. And also, by the way, the writers are, are currently on strike, but studios are also in, uh, as of this recording, in negotiations with the Screen Actors Guild. That's the union for actors. And that contract is up at the end of this month, June 2023. And so if there is not a new agreement there, there is the potential that writers and actors could simultaneously be on strike. And that could potentially result in even more delays on the release calendar. And so Nothing is really set right now with these release, da- uh, these release dates. Um, these, this is what we have as of now. This is what we have as of this recording, as of this week. It is, of course, subject to change. Maybe it won't, and maybe these release dates will finally hold as is. But we don't actually know that, and we won't know that. And we won't even really have uh, start to have a good idea of whether or not these release dates will hold unless or until we see a resolution between the writers and the studios, and then hopefully also a resolution between the actors and the studios, and, and ideally without the, with the writer's strike ending as quickly as possible, and the studios and actors being able, to, of being able to reach a fair agreement that avoids a, uh, a Screen Actors Guild strike. Um, but before I, I move on from release dates, I do want to talk uh, a little bit about some release dates for Sony, So remember, Deadpool 3 moved from November 8th of 2024 to May 3rd of 2024. Well, November 8th, it didn't take long for Sony to swoop in. So there is an untitled Sony Marvel movie on November 8th of 2024. Sony has also booked a release date, a Marvel release date for June 27th of 2025. Now, as far as what these could be, uh, certainly, the Ven- Venom 3 is, uh, is one possibility for either of these dates, maybe even that November 8th, 2024 date. Also, there is a fourth Spider-Man film that's still hovering out there. We know that uh, Kevin Feige has talked about it being in a really good place. Tom Holland has recently talked about it being in a really good place, although we also know that nobody can be really writing it right now. But if there is indeed going to be... And remember, Sony is the one who distributes those movies. If it is a Spider-Man-led or Spider-Man solo movie, not Spider-Man being part of a Captain America Civil War or Avengers-style team-up, then that is uh, Sony that distributes that movie and books the release dates. So it is possible that June, I would say highly unlikely that it would be November 8, 2024 for another Marvel Studios and Sony 
Spider-Man collaboration, but perhaps June 27th, 2025 could be a Spider-Man movie that Marvel Studios and Sony co-produce. And of course, Disney and Sony co-distribute with uh, Sony still being the primary distributor if it works the same way as No Way Home, where Sony had 70% of the movie and Disney had the other 30%. So if it works that same way, then maybe we could see that. But we also know that Sony is developing a lot of Marvel movies and a lot of other Spider-Man, Spider-Verse properties and things like that. So I wouldn't just, uh, it certainly would not be safe to assume that, uh, it would not be safe to assume that that's going to be a fourth MCU Spider-Man solo film. Um, Lastly on this, I would just say that um, really, there's no judgment to be assigned to this release date reshuffling. It is 100% necessary at this point. There really isn't that much choice in terms of what needs to be done right now. And I do think that there can be positives that are ultimately that ultimately come out of this. I know it's not really a net until there until writers can actually work on these scripts. It's not necessarily a net gain in terms of more time uh, that gets to be put into the script. Potentially, it could be. Um, but also, I, I think that if there's one other potential benefit here, besides just the extra development time that could that may ultimately result in these stories being that much more dialed in, that much better by the time Marvel goes out to actually make them, which means they have an even better chance to be uh, even greater films when we finally get a chance to see them. So all of that, those are, are certainly potential positives. But I think another one here, just going back to the audience, and while I do think, as I've said before on this episode and, and a few others before it, I don't really think audiences make broad, sweeping judgments about the MCU. And even if they do, even if they tweet as much or post as much on Instagram or TikTok or wherever, I don't really know that they hold themselves to that. I think they're always open to check out the MCU, especially when they hear that there's something really special in theaters that they should not miss. It might make them hesitate for an opening weekend, but even if it does... Uh, they are open to being convinced to go right back into the theater. So we know that that exists. But in terms of Avengers movies and maximizing the the size, the scale of the event, just that, and even just the vibe, the feeling of an event, of a culmination for Avengers, the Kang Dynasty, and Avengers Secret Wars, I think having to wait that much longer for an Avengers movie might ultimately bode well for that movie of the audience just being that much. It's a a little bit of that absence makes the heart grow fonder or a little bit of feeding that appetite of the audience has wanted to have that feeling of of an Avengers movie, of the heroes coming together, Earth's Mightiest Heroes and all that, that they don't necessarily get that for a little while. And I think also because you want to sell this, because Avengers movies are are different now, right? They're not just the cap to a phase. They are the cap to a saga. So you really have to have them feel as big big of an event as you possibly can. And I don't know that an Avengers movie, when if you go back to the initial uh, release date of Avengers The Kang Dynasty in 2025, well, that would have been only six years after Avengers Endgame. I know it would have felt like longer than that for a lot of us, but I think having that, and I know it's just one more year, but seven years instead of six, it still is just an extra year of having to wait. Um, It's also just an extra year for the story to build, 
Um, creatively, depending on how many of those untitled Marvel release dates actually stick, how many of them get filled with extra chapters of the MCU that get to be part of the multiverse saga. So there is that part of it, but then also just the literal day-to-day wait or extra year-long wait for the audience to really be hungry for it, uh, to just maximize that big event feel for the Avengers. Not that that is a particular challenge for Marvel. I mean, they've been pretty good at it over the years, and I think Avengers movies are always going to feel pretty big, uh, but maybe even just a little bit bigger, just a little bit more special because the audience had to wait uh, just a bit longer for it. So there are some upsides to this as we also just get our own added benefit of getting that much more uh, practice at being patient and continuing to wait for these things because we are very, very, very much accustomed to these release date shifts. And it really wouldn't surprise me if we see another one because uh, certainly you look at uh, that Deadpool movie on May 3rd of next year while the strike is still ongoing and you could see how there's a very realistic chance that that movie won't necessarily be ready by that date. And if it moves, are we looking at another backslide across the entire board? Or will they just pick a spot for Deadpool to jump kind of like it did this time, jumping up? And next time, they'll just maybe potentially have it jump back and, and not really touch too many other things on the rest of this calendar. And they do have, of course, some untitled release dates still out there that will provide them with some flexibility if or when they need to make some more moves on the calendar. But in the meantime, I will focus on those potential positives. I will focus on that upside and continue to see the glass as half full. This just about brings us to the Secret Invasion non-spoiler review portion of the episode. But before I get into that, now's as good a time as any to remind you about Fanshow Plus. That is the podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. If you search for the MCU Fanshow channel or Fanshow Plus, you can find it there and subscribe. That's where I talk about extra MCU news and MCU related topics. And that will include the news of The Incredible Hulk landing on Disney+, Plus. at least I know in the U.S. By the time you're hearing this podcast, if not shortly after, you will be able to watch The Incredible Hulk on Disney+, Plus, which means you can watch almost all of The Infinity Saga on Disney+, Plus. at least in the U.S. As of this recording, it's still missing one movie, that one movie being the epilogue, Spider-Man Far From Home, which is technically and officially part of the Infinity Saga. That's the only one that's missing now that the Incredible Hulk, um, not as of this recording, but soon after, uh, will be uh, present and available on Disney+. Plus. So how did that happen? And what does it mean? What doesn't it mean for the future of the Hulk in the MCU, especially as it pertains to Hulk solo projects or solo feature films in the MCU. I will break all of that down on an upcoming episode of Fanshow Plus. And now, this is your Secret Invasion non-spoiler warning. If you don't even want to hear a non-spoiler reaction to Marvel Studios Secret Invasion, if you are on a media blackout, social media blackout, you are just not wanting to take the chance of coming across anything Secret Invasion until Disney Plus makes the first episode available on June 21st. If that is where you're at, if that is your mentality, if that 
is your spoiler avoidance strategy. I totally get it. Um, you certainly don't need it, and for me anyway, in terms of spoiler avoidance, because I, I promise I really won't spoil anything, but if you don't want to hear anything at all, that's fine. I totally get it. And Paul and I will be back with you next week for a spoiler review of the first episode. And I, I really can't wait. That's my favorite thing, even having seen the first couple of episodes. What I'm really looking forward to is being able to break it down with Paul uh, for all of you who are kind enough to listen to our podcast. But I've been rambling on through this warning for a couple minutes now. So I feel like if you're still here, uh, you already made the choice that you don't mind hearing my non-spoiler review. So I can go ahead and, and just stop with the warnings and, and go ahead and get into it. Um, if you were following at MCU Fan Show on Twitter, you know that I already enjoyed, you would already know that I enjoyed the first two episodes of Secret Invasion. And I think what I really, what really stands out through the first two episodes, besides spoilery stuff that I can't get into, but the two non-spoiler things that really stand out and really worked on me and really had me enjoying uh, Secret Invasion, the first two episodes at least, because that's all I've seen so far. The first thing that really stood out is it, it really felt like we've been talking about Marvel Studios and Back to Basics. Now, Secret Invasion is in no way, shape, or form a reaction or any type of response to any of the more recent criticisms of the MCU, especially those coming out of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. How could it be? This show was already made before audiences saw and responded to Quantumania. But I do think that not necessarily as a response, but just because this was purely what they wanted to do within the storytelling, is back to basics in the sense of what Marvel used to talk about quite a bit, what Kevin Feige used to talk about quite a bit, because Kevin Feige will tell you he doesn't really believe in the concept of the superhero genre. He doesn't really believe that's a thing. He doesn't believe that really Marvel Studios makes superhero movies. Obviously, their movies have superhero movies in them, but they take their inspiration from other genres. Now, Kevin Feige and I could, uh, we it will never happen, but we could have an entirely uh, different debate about that because I still think that both things can be true at the same time, that there can be superhero movies, there can be a superhero genre, and also those movies uh, that are based on superheroes or feature superheroes have superhero names in the title. They can also still be perfectly at home within other film genres or other television genres, as it would turn out, streaming genres, whatever you want to call it, as would be the case for Secret Invasion. But if I could stop uh, just circling the point and get to it, what one of the things I really liked about Secret Invasion, along those lines of being right at home in a certain format and in a certain genre that where it's it happens to feature, just because this is the MCU, it happens to feature spies like, you know, the, the spy of all spies like Nick Fury and then shape-shifting aliens like the Skrulls, where that's just a, a byproduct of this story being set in the MCU, but the superhero of it all, the superhero universe of it all, is not actually the form of the show. The form of the show, through two episodes anyway, really is a spy thriller. 
And it kind of reminded me in a weird way that I can't elaborate on until we get to spoiler reviews, but it did kind of remind me in some ways of WandaVision in the sense that WandaVision obviously took his time and had a lot of fun playing with different eras of television. And I wouldn't say that the effect is nearly as pronounced on Secret Invasion, but in its own way, and obviously Secret Invasion is not mimicking classic television. I'm not here to say that that Secret Invasion is going to remind you of the Dick Van Dyke show or the Brady Bunch, but in terms of being true to its form and its inspiration with spy thrillers as a genre... It really is putting the, or at least I felt like as an audience member, I was really being put through the paces and the changing speeds of spy thrillers. There was stuff where it's very, very slow burn, and then there's stuff that is rapid fire, and there's pacing that goes in between. That it's really, it really does shift, and seamlessly so, between just different styles different feels, different vibes, different energy, um, and also different paces of spy thrillers. And that was a part of it that I really appreciated, that I really embraced, because it just felt like Secret Invasion was totally existing. It's very well within the MCU, obviously, but at the same time, it really is taking up its own space in terms of the style of the story that it's telling, and it's really living in the style of that story, which I think is very important. I mean, I I think that that is something that a lot of the best stories in the MCU have their own way of doing that. And as far as whether or not Secret Invasion is going to be as successful as some of the other uh, stories that are the best in the MCU, there's no way I'm going to even begin to evaluate that, let alone declare it, based on two episodes out of six. But it's at least giving itself that opportunity and being true to itself in that way. And so that, without getting into spoilers, is a, a big part of the, the, the success, at least what I felt was the, the early success through two episodes of Secret Invasion. But I said there were two things. So really living in the space and the uh, varying pace of the spy thriller, that was uh, success story number one for Secret Invasion through two episodes. The second thing is that even though there is a lot of plot, I'm not spoiling anything by saying that in the first two episodes of a spy thriller show that there is a fair amount of table setting to just let you know as an audience member kind of what's going on to just invite you into the story while still keeping you at arm's length in in classic spy thriller fashion. But for all the plot that uh, that is in this show so far, It's not coming at the expense of the character arcs, of the character-driven moments in this show. And that is something that I I feel like we've... It's something we have called out on some MCU projects of late where they haven't necessarily nailed this part of it. They haven't necessarily... Sometimes in certain moments in certain MCU stories of late, not in all of them or most of them or anything like that, but in certain moments at certain points in time, we've seen the MCU maybe focus a little too much on the ever-expanding plot of the multiverse and maybe not as, or whatever the plot of a given film was or series, and maybe not give quite as much attention or emphasis to the character arcs, to 
the character-driven moments, the, the emotion of the characters, and really giving us a chance to connect with them in their story through the first two episodes, that is not an issue for Secret Invasion. I am happy to report through two episodes, that is not an issue for Secret Invasion. I, I don't want to go into too much or really any detail about it, but I, I will share as much on this podcast as I, I shared on my Twitter reaction to the first two episodes, which is that I thought that it was, um, for Nick Fury more specifically, without saying how or why, um, it just was a surprising start to what feels like it could be an even more unexpected character arc for Nick Fury. And I would love to elaborate on that further, but I just can't. And, and when I, I say that, though, to provide just a tiny bit of elaboration, I'm not talking about plot. I'm just talking about the emotional arc for Nick Fury, where he's at, where he's going, um, where he may be going in this show. Not like I know. It's only I've only seen the first third of it at this point. But it is a, a very surprising start, and I am very interested to see where it goes from here. And I am really eager to say even more about it, but I will not. That really is kind of the, the extent of where I want to go with the non-spoiler review. And, and if it sounds like I don't have any criticisms of the first two episodes, that is not the case. It's just my criticisms, as they tend to be, are very, very specific. And obviously, that's not what I want to do in a non-spoiler review. So I will save those for the spoiler review of those respective episodes. And I really can't wait for those because I think that this is a series that is going to give Paul and I plenty to discuss and, and plenty for all of us collectively as uh, an MCU fandom, uh, plenty for us to say and, and really dive into. And I am very much looking forward to having very specific conversations about this show, as much as it pains me right now to have to be so non-specific in this non-spoiler review, which is now over. So that's as much as I'm going to say about Secret Invasion until we get into the spoiler reviews. In the meantime, though, because um, naturally that wraps up this episode of MCU Fan Show. So in the meantime, please make sure that you are checking out Fan Show Plus at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts if you search for the MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus, you can find it there and subscribe to that premium podcast where you can hear me talk about The Incredible Hulk on Disney+, Plus, Disney+, Plus and Hulu being part of one app together in the U.S., and plenty more as it pertains to Marvel, Disney, at least Disney as much as it affects Marvel Studios and the MCU, and our experience for uh, the MCU and these stories as fans. Also, make sure you follow us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. If you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to anyone who has already taken the, and anyone and everyone who has already taken the time to share their review. It is much appreciated. If you would like to follow me for some reason on social media, you can at Mr. Sean Gerber on Instagram and Twitter. But for now, I am Sean Gerber. Take care. We'll see you next time.